if I don't get it, it's going to be very hard for me to bring myself to the next level that is dive deeper. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Azure Talks. Thank you so much for joining us today. And today I'm in the podcast with uh, Principal Product Manager at Microsoft for the Azure platform, Azure Arc platform, uh, Lior Kamrath. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, how are you doing? I'm, you know, I'm living the dream on a Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's really how I'm doing. Everything is okay, busy, but, you know, always happy to, to have a conversation with community members. So. So, so like I said, I'm so happy that you that you joined us today within this podcast. And um, well, I figure that you have a lot of busy things going on right now because um, social media is filled with Leo Comrade uh, at this very moment. <laughs> and um, I see all this cool stuff about Azure Arc and AKS Edge Essentials. And um, well, something else that caught my interest, Leo, is you are like the master of diagramming. So we'll, we'll be sure talking about that as well. Um, but let's first start how, 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 how this all um, came together. And obviously we will dive into mm. AKS Essentials as well, because in our last episode, we had uh, Steve Buchanan in our podcast. Um, mm. And we discussed about more on the AKS kind of stuff and how you get accelerated and start that journey. Yeah. And we hit a topic, hybrid cloud as well. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, you're the go-to guy at Microsoft, right? Well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people that are doing this. I mean, I guess I'm just the most vocal one. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about the Azure Arc product on itself and how it really started and what, what was the vision or the strategy that actually accelerated on this product? Yeah, uh, of course. You know, uh, when uh, when we started working on Azure Arc a few years back, it was even before I, you know, I started with the team. Even though I've been working on Azure Arc for, you know, on an official capacity three years, on an unofficial capacity probably around four. Um, um, when we started this, the idea was to how do you take all these estate that you have outside of Azure. Um, and do something about that. Back then, it was really, uh, you know, when you had a lot of conversations around uh, migrations, which was always there. I mean, conversations around cloud migration was there from the moment that the cloud was started, right? It doesn't really matter, you know, which one of the hyperscaler, you know, started, but that conversation was always there. But every time you had those conversations around migrations, um, and Arc started with the concept of Arc-enabled servers, and then just kind of expanded from there. But um, every time you had those conversations around migration, there was always this thing that was there, which is, okay, great, we just lift and shift all these, you know, mammoth of servers. What about the other five thousand that left behind? Mm -hmm. uh, what do we do about that? And this all notion of having sprawl of tooling, you know, especially in the IT space when you have, you know, you have tools for or 10 tools to do the same job. Um, what we wanted to do is we wanted to create this unified experience. Um, so that's really was the origin of Azure Arc. That was one of the origins of Azure Arc. And another 
key element to that was, okay, so how, in the same time, how do we actually bring services that we have in Azure that are pretty popular, uh, got wide adoption, and you know they're pretty well known, how do we bring those to the outside universe? And those two streams were the ones that kind of defined the shape of Arc the way it is today. And obviously the product is involving and there are other streams and mini streams that was that were created, but those are the core elements, uh, those two core elements. That's at least how I see that. All right. So actually what I distillate or what I understand from what you what you're what you just told me was that there are actually two parts of Arc, inside out and outside in. So you're looking from what power Azure, the Microsoft Cloud beholds, and you want to actually bring that towards more of cross-premises, on-premises, multi-cloud, other hyperscalers as well. Right. And on the other, other side around, you want to create that single plane of um, doing things in an Azure right. experience, right? Exactly. Right. Um, and unless unless you know unless you are a startup that is really born born in the cloud that only got like cloud estate, this is relevant to you. I always say that Arc is a bi-directional thing. You need mm -hmm. to think about it in a bi-directional fashion. It's not it's not a one-directional thing. Like if you really want to achieve or fulfill the real value proposition of Azure Arc, this is how you want to think about it. And not just from either just the server's angle or the services angle. It's it's a bi-directional thing. Yeah, and I actually learned a couple of weeks ago, I, I read a report of, from Forrester that even 87% of all the infrastructure out there in this world is still um, being on premises or in a private cloud. So it's a very relevant topic, right? So, um, yep. and something, and this might be a personal question or not, or maybe asking for a friend, but <laughs> um, how do you help customers adopt more? Um, I always tell with, 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 with the people I work with, I, I say you have backwards compatibility thinking and you have forwards compatibility thinking. Mm -hmm. So you have a digital estate powered with traditional services, monitoring tools, logging tools, uh, security tools, management tools, yeah. um, and all those components around, around that, right? To, just to govern your, your estate. Mm -hmm. And you have all these sweet things within public cloud that you can now bring back to your private cloud. So you can have like that, 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 that sweet hybrid cloud experience and one plane to rule them all, one ring to rule them all. But right. how, how do you work with customers that are in the middle or at the starting point to shift towards that more of a backwards compatibility thinking, thinking in new services and how can we leverage them on our traditional estate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's a very good question. You know, when, when at least when I talk to customers, uh, when I talk to the community, when I talk to people that are just uh, very passionate about this space, what I always uh, trying to understand is how do they use technology? Uh, you know, if you've been in the game long enough, and you know, I'm not going to say how old I am, but you know, I've been in the game long enough, uh, knowing that people using technologies in certain ways, and most of the time, they're kind of fixed on that. Um, mm -hmm. That's and that's just kind of a general comment. It's not again, if if you like to experiment, and you're like me and like to play with new toys every day, sure, great. But the reality 
is that when you have a business to to run, you can't just you know do a find and replace all day long. You need to fix on something, go with that, and making sure that it's working for your needs. So if I'm taking this to the Arc universe, um, and I'm thinking about this all forward compatibility, backward compatibility, I'm always trying to understand one, what is the most important piece that someone is trying to fix um, or improve or optimize? And then I start go deeper you know, on that area. Because if I were to go to sprawl, um, it's going to be a lose-lose situation. I mm -hmm. need to understand the problem um, to its depth in order for me to actually provide some legitimate, um, um, I don't know, advice. Now, the interesting piece is that most of the time, if you go on one vertical uh, deep enough, this will organically will give you all the answers that you need for the other things as well. Because at the end, everything is jello together. A business is a live organism, an IT team is a live organism, a live organism, um, you know, DevOps, developers, SREs, they're all at the end of the day consuming technologies. And con technology, no matter how you look at that, it's one or zeros. It's either it's doing what you need or not doing what you need. So as long as you understand what is the real problem mm -hmm. um, and focus on that, it will be much easier for you to understand backward compatibility or forward compatibility. Um, and sure, there's a lot to unfold with this type of stuff, but that's usually the way I'm approaching this. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. And it, 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 it sounds frank, right? So maybe a bit of a strange question, but well, I have to put it out there. What is the most common reason or the most common challenge or the most common problem that in this world of hybrid yeah. cloud, people tackle with um, adopting Azure Arc? Yeah, uh, I would say a sprawl of resources. Um, when, uh, you know, you mentioned the Forrester report and here's, that's kind of the, the interesting piece about marketing, right? If you if you dive deeper into the world of cloud marketing machines, you know you know that um, on premises or uh, is something that um, the cloud providers, even you know Azure, you know it's no secret that everyone are trying to push towards you know the big cloud, mm. but there is a lot of marketing machine around that. The reality is that. You know, you can't avoid the fact that there is basically a 50 years history um, of technology when it comes to the IT space that is relevant to that. The cloud was not born out of thin air. It was born because, you know, there was basically an idea to provide something as a service or offload a lot of the challenges that you had as an organization. Now... To close the loop on that into your you know to your question when you have a sprawl of it assets um you have virtual machines you have bare metal you have networking you have storage you have all those things that are out there um not every single thing you will be able to move to the cloud um and a lot of the time it's also it's a people thing. It's not necessarily just a technology thing. It's a people thing a lot of the time. Um, 
whether people just uh, feel that they're being more effective the way things are, or um, it's just a matter of slowly graduating with the idea. Um, you know, it's always about this energy, energy of, about the frog, right? If you dump a frog into a pot of boiled waters, uh, right, they're going to jump right in. Mm. But if you slowly cook them, you know, that's kind of how that's kind of how I'm looking at this. So, uh, so yeah. Cool, cool. And well, we have to mention the Jumpstart program, right? Because everyone that is listening right now or is seeing this this video is being recorded on YouTube and on Spotify and on Google Podcasts. But whether you're listening or whether you're watching, people can experience the power of Azure Arc within minutes because of the yeah. Jumpstart program. Can you can you tell us a little about a uh, little bit about the Jumpstart program and what different scenarios are in there? Sure. Um, so the Jumpstart started with a really simple problem uh, that I got tired of. I tried to, um, that was back in the early days of Arc-enabled servers before before it was even when GA. Mm. Um, and I come from an automation background, you know, dev background, like stuff like that. I always like to uh, stitch things. That was kind of my thing. And I wanted to basically take, um, back then it was, just working, and I come also from VMware. Before joining Microsoft, I was with VMware for for multiple years. And what I wanted to do, like naturally, I was like, "Oh, let me try to onboard a vSphere machine into Arc." And after probably ten minutes, something like that, and I remember that vividly. Um, after ten minutes, I had around six or seven tabs open in my browser, um, and I was like, "Okay, this." This is not like this is not a good experience for, for me. <laughs> so I started to put all these scenarios together, basically creating like a repo and started this science project. And I just called it, you know, hey, let me jumpstart your experience. And from there it took off. So the idea with the jumpstart is that you have a collection of as of today, we have more than 120 of those scenarios. And we also have like products that are part of the jumpstart, art box and HCI box and more things that we are working on. Um, and the idea here is for you to be able to experiment um, and try all things Azure Arc in, a, in an ephemeral uh, closed sandbox environment. So you will not have to worry about touching your own business estate or IT assets and then make you feel comfortable about the technology and reduce the friction of adopting it. Mm. Um, that was really the the origin of the jumpstart. That that's how it started. Um, I was just tired of trying simple things and spend, you know, two hours on something that should have taken me five minutes. So that was really the origin of it. Yeah, that 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 sounds awesome, and I love I love the automation mind state that led to all these mature scenarios that are within Azure, Azure Arc Jumpstart right now. Um, I will definitely put the link within within the description for the people that don't know the pro program. I, I can't imagine that people that are interested in Azure Arc don't know it, but <laughs> if you don't, please uh, look it up. It's, 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 it's very self-explanatory as well. So um, if you do things by infrastructure as code, it's, it's, it's really exciting to see how you guys have built a, a complete portfolio around this, around yeah. this Arc uh, platform. Um, Funny fact, you, you, you're saying that it started with vSphere. 
Right. Right. It started with vSphere. Um, it started with vSphere. And we yeah. have all this mature, uh, you know where I'm going, right? <laughs> we have yeah. all this mature and general available services within the, the, the Arc platform. Yet vSphere is one that's still in public preview, right? Right. Correct. Um, it's kind of, I know it's kind of, it's kind of funny like that, but here's, here's the thing. Um, you know, when I, uh, uh like I mentioned, I, I joined Microsoft, uh, coming from, coming from VMware to me, it was just the most, and I have, you know, VMware environments and I have labs and all that. And for me to spin up a, a VMware machine is like, you know, drinking water. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not that, it's not that hard. Um, and I, uh, and it was just it just felt natural. Now, if you're thinking about Azure Arc enabled VMware vSphere, uh, the reason that this thing is still in public preview because there's a lot of ground to cover. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do with Arc enabled vSphere is kind of interesting in the sense that we are trying to take or targeting specific VMware environments, right, or technology, and try to bring with less friction as possible, bring those vSphere VMs into the platform. If you're thinking about Azure Arc enabled servers today, what you need to do is you need to have an agent and you need to deploy that engine. And you can do that at scale. We have multiple ways of doing that, but basically bringing those servers into, into ARM. Mm -hmm. With Arc enabled VMware vSphere, it's kind of the same, but almost on steroids, if you're thinking about a vSphere environment, because what we're doing is we're interacting with vCenter API. And vCenter API has the visibility to the entire vSphere state. So that's that's why. And this is still in public preview because we want to make the resource bridge, uh, which is the component, the appliance that is responsible for that handshake that I was mentioning between vCenter and ARM, we want to make it bulletproof. Because if we're telling you, as Microsoft, we're telling you, hey, deploy resource bridge in your environment. The last thing that I want is for you to have a bad experience that, you know, that you have an unsecure or a broken or just unstable appliance that I just ask you to deploy in your vSphere environment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things takes time. And this is, you know, this is the life of engineering. Uh, you know, sometimes you do a design and then you roll back and then you're coming back and do a different way of implementing things. Um, you know, that's the beauty in technology. It's always kind of like that. So, so it's a, a, a quality assurance thing and you really want it Definitely. to be that, that mature that if you put the stamp of general available on it, it should be, it should be hundred percent, hundred ten percent good to go. So, um, I can only, I, I can only agree with you that, that, that's the, that's actually what we do in engineering. And, um, well, I love that mindset as well. So let's talk we a little tried. bit about the bringing or leveraging the Azure services towards that cross-premises or multi-cloud with yeah. Azure Arc, but not in the context of VMware and service, because one of the main reasons that at least the customers that I talk with uh, yeah. adopt public cloud is more towards the platform as a service, containers as a service, or like you mentioned, everything as a service. So yeah. looking at data solutions, we have Arc enabled mm -hmm. data services. Right. Um, I, I, I met you on uh, Ignite uh, last year, um, where you had some uh, very exciting um, announcements as well, uh, considering uh, the Arc program or the Arc right. uh, platform. 
is there a lot of customer demand for like SQL on uh, uh, through Azure Arc, or is it something mm -hmm. that is being driven by the internal organization? Yeah, you know, I think that we tend to think as you know, sometimes when we are building products, people has this tendency to think about the volume and the number of customers that are using a specific technology. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as I generally speaking, I agree with that. Sometimes you need to think about not just the volume, but also the quality of the use case. What I mean by that is that if you have 100 customers that are deploying one single instance, um, the data quality that you get out of this as engineering to understand, okay, how can I make it better will be significantly lower than five customers that are deploying 100 SQL managed instances in their organization because they have more robust and more complex architecture. Mm -hmm. Now, why am I saying this? Because if I'm looking at the volume of customers that we have today for Arc enabled data services, Sure, I mean, like any other product, I would love to have more. But here's the thing, the ones that are using it, and we do have quite few customers that are using Arc-enabled data services. Um, the ones that are using it, the interesting piece here is that they're really trying to take it to the extreme because they understand the importance of bringing something like SQL Managed Instance, for example, to their estate because of all the gizmos and goodies that you're getting out of this. Um, one of the one of the most well one of the public uh, cases or customer cases that we have out there is RBC for example or John Deere uh, you know and those are for those of you who don't know you know RBC largest bank bank in Canada John Deere huge company when it comes to manufacturing tractors you know and and all those good stuff um, the way that they are using this technology is really interesting because they are trying to replicate things that we used to do with SQL for years in terms of, you know, DR and HA and failovers and all that, um, but do that with a new technology that is, the underline of it is based on Kubernetes, mm -hmm. which brings a lot of, like brings another layer of complexity. So to me, that's a very, that's very interesting. And I would prefer any given day, I would prefer a customer that is looking to deploy a complex architecture than just playing around with you know with the toys because to me as an engineer it gives me a lot more uh insights on how it's being used but to your question just can i give you the long answer here to, to a very short question is that yes we do have when we do see a lot of customers we see a lot of demand we see a lot of interest um i think that specifically for arc enabled data services the engagement model is longer because we're talking about solutions that, that by nature are more complex to implement from an overall enterprise architecture, which is the target audience for this type of services. All right, good answer. So yeah. a very complete answer as well. So um, you mentioned Kubernetes. Yeah. And recently, I think it's been about two weeks that my whole wall on LinkedIn and, and my whole feed on Twitter is filled with AKS Edge Essentials. Well, we already had Azure Arc enabled Kubernetes, right? Yeah. So um, I do know the difference, but I will let you explain the difference between the two services. But sure. can you also explain why should I choose one over the other? Yeah. So 
Arc-enabled Kubernetes is really, uh, in the most simple way, is our way to bring Kubernetes clusters that are deployed outside of Azure and have those represented inside ARM, Azure Resource Manager. It doesn't matter what type of Kubernetes cluster you have, as long as you have a supported distro and you know CNCF conformant uh, distribution, which you know the uh, the majority of the Kubernetes, or I would say that 99% of the popular Kubernetes distros we support. Uh, so no problem there. So that's really Arc-enabled Kubernetes. AKS Edge Essentials is um, our own distribution for AKS in a lightweight fashion, or a light, or I should say a small form factor fashion. Now, I'll talk about why you should choose AKS Edge Essentials, but in the most generic or the most uh, kind of obvious thing to say here is that you can arc enable an AKS Edge Essential like you would arc enable a GKE cluster or a cluster API or you know OpenShift. Pretty much the same in the sense that you know it's Arc-enabled Kubernetes cluster and will look and have the same feeling. But if you are thinking for a second about AKS Edge Essentials and why you should use that, well, AKS Edge Essentials is really, to me, represent the evolution that we are going through as as Microsoft and specifically, you know, with the Azure portfolio on how do we address. Or how do we bridge and do this jelloing between cloud and edge? Mm -hmm. Now, edge means different things to different people. Um, so to me, edge means that it's a location that is outside of Azure. And it doesn't rep uh, necessarily represent the size of the estate that you have. It just represents, to me, the remoteness element. Um, so. Um, if you think about it, it's no, it's it's not a lot. Of, uh, it's no different than potentially a data center. The mm -hmm. only thing here to think about is that when people are using edge, now it's also in the context of um, remote branches or retail stores or factory floors, right? But at the end of the day, in the most uh, kind of common way to think about it, is that you have basically infrastructure. It's a, uh, a technology stack that is deployed somewhere. And you need to have a way to manage that and do some you know, processes on top of that. So with AKS Edge Essentials, what we're doing is we bundled AKS in a, like I mentioned, in a, in a small form factor. So you will be able to deploy this on either low power devices or you know, small infrastructure um, and have the same experience. Well, I should say that have a close to the same experience that you have with AKS today but only in a remote physical you know site sure you can deploy that on a virtual machine but um the idea here is for you to um when i say deploy it on a virtual machine you can deploy it on a virtual machine that is on vmware for example you can mm -hmm. do that even though the underlying is still going to be hyper v but the idea here is for us to be able to give you that remote option um and have a certified blessed Kubernetes distribution that we as Microsoft provide um, and for you to use. Yeah, that sounds great. And there are still a lot of use cases to have those computing on the yes. edge, right? So uh, like you mentioned, retail stores, an obvious <laughs> example, and looking at 
the the surface and integrating that with Azure Arc within the uh, within the, the the total portal experience, uh, circling back on that on that single pane of glass with right. another service that's in public preview right now is like Fleet Manager, which comes right. very handy when you want to deploy your different applications towards different well, let's say locations towards the edge or in your general public cloud in your in your general right. environment, yeah. um, and also machine learning has a lot of requirements or a lot of data ingestion that you don't want to bring over to the cloud and want to bring back and forth uh, to 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 actually use the compute to 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 ingest and um, analyze the data. So right. um, I do know what you're. I understand what you're saying about computing on the edge, mm -hmm. um, and I'm very excited about um, AKS um, Edge Essentials uh, as well. But I figure I have the idea that we will be hearing a lot more about it in the upcoming weeks because, like I said, um, it, it, it's it's being put out there. Um, yeah. Something else that I wanted to talk about talk about with you is sure. Azure Arc is very much focused on bringing it on. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but when I when I say Azure Arc is actually uh, under the hood, it's it's like agents that we are installing to bring mm -hmm. those sweetness towards our on premise and to ingest it within our portal experience or within our Azure Resource Manager experience, right? Right. right. We have to talk about Azure Stack ACI, Azure Stack Hub. Mm. Um, sure, let's talk about it. Let's say I'm a customer and I'm interested in running my workloads on-premises, but I want to do it in a cloud-native way. So I have, th I have three things to choose from right now. I could do an Azure Stack ACI. I could try to find a partner that offers Azure Stack Hub, or I could try and leverage Azure Arc Agents. Mm -hmm. So what are considerations to choose one over the other? Well, I would say that if you already have an investment in uh, in hardware that you own mm -hmm. and you don't and you already have processes in place for you to use that hardware. For example, if you have you know if you already set in stone when it comes to I don't know vSphere or uh, KVM or whatnot, it's okay. Everyone got their own, you know, uh, you know, you can pick your poison. It doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. um, but if you already have that investment, you should look at two things. You should look at either Stack HCI or you should look at Arc. When would you use Azure Stack HCI? You want to think about Azure Stack HCI if one, first of all, you need your hardware to be supported. Mm -hmm. That's the most fundamental thing. Let's assume that your hardware is supported. Now you need to make a decision whether you want to have, um, I would say, an end-to-end -end seamless integration with uh, Windows Admin Center and you know, and also get all the R gizmos on top of that. But it does require you to deploy Azure Stack HCI. I mean, at the end of the day, it, nothing runs on hopes and dreams. Um, you need to be able to support that as an organization. Now. If you only want to do, I would say, continue do the things that you do today, but start enjoying the benefit of bringing um, your estate into Azure, I would say start with Azure Arc, 
get your you know get your gem going start you know start enabling either servers or kubernetes clusters do some deployments of data services or app services or whatnot and get a feeling of how you know how you're dealing with this as an organization now the evolution of that can be azure stack hci in the sense that azure stack hci already got all the embedded integration with azure arc either on the um, AKS on Azure Stack HCI level, just the HCI level, um, or also using Resource Bridge for VM management. You get all of those things, really depends on what you're deploying. Um, and that will give you a more, I would say, more integrated experience to Azure mm -hmm. in the sense of all the bells and whistles, right? But it's two different things. With Azure Stack Hub, you know, it's like you mentioned, you need to find, you, need, you know, you need to find the partner to do that. And I would say that also from an investment standpoint, um, you know, at least when it comes to the, when it comes to the hybrid space, right? It's not like we're not looking at Stack Hub. We're very much looking at our Stack Hub, but when we're trying to develop um, the, I would say the V next, when we're trying to develop the, kind of the the evolution we need to explore all, all options and we need to look at what customers are telling us and we need to adopt right it's that's the world we live in right you you adopt or you die that's kind of that's <laughs> that's how it goes and that's to me what you know what is happening going back to your question around aks edge essentials that's another example of of evolution of adaptation to uh, to either an economy or technology changes um, or whatnot. So that's kind of how I'm looking at this. Um, I don't think that it's either this or that. It can it can coexist. Specifically, I'm talking about Azure Arc and Azure Stack HCI. Um, but I would also say that Azure Stack HCI will require you to have um, a more kind of integrated plan to your processes um, because you potentially, in the process, you're going to switch from one technology stack to another. If you're already in a Hyper-V universe, mm -hmm. Azure Stack HCI will be just kind of just you know tying your other shoe. Uh, but if you are switching a complete technology stack, yeah, sure, there's going to be a learning curve to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do understand what you're saying about the learning curve. And um, I've been there, so I experienced it myself. Um, so yep. I do know what you're saying. And there's just one thing that we haven't really talked about covering all these services in your products. Mm -hmm. And it's always about money when it go goes, comes to customers, right? Sure. So the benefits on total cost of ownership, that must be mm -hmm. something that you talk about with your engineering team, but also with the customers that you're facing or that you're talking with or that you have discussions with. Um, mm -hmm. From a total cost of ownership or TCO perspective, mm -hmm. how does Azure Arc and Azure Stack HCI, which is obviously powered by Azure Arc as well, mm -hmm. um, how does that fit in? And I'm, I, I can, I can fill in the the blanks on how it will benefit on a TCO perspective, but I'm very eager to learn about. When would it go down south? When will it will it not be a good investment? Do you have uh, examples of that as well? Because that's very interesting yeah. as well, right? Yeah, I think that Azure Arc will not be a good investment for you if you have 
an organization that the lifeline of the organization is dependent on too many things and it's very hard to replace your spine. Mm -hmm. um, that's really kind of how I'm looking at this. I am a huge advocate of just because you could doesn't mean you should. Mm -hmm. And I think the same way on Azure Arc, I think that about every technology, I think about that with Kubernetes, I think about it with Azure Arc, with Vim, like pick any technology that you want or a programming language, I would you know, have that in mind. Now, to your question, I think that if you're thinking about TCO um, and and how did that can negatively be impacted by Azure Arc? If you're not invested in Azure already, and you don't have the right uh, plan in place to uh, to start living in an Azure universe, meaning you don't have the right people, you don't have the right skill set, you don't have the processes, or start having a plan around that, you will definitely get hit by uh, by a negative basically TCO mm -hmm. because that means you're going to have to compensate on the fact that uh, this is like super new and you're just learning to walk. It's just the way it goes. On the flip side, if you already very much invested in Azure, either as your main cloud or yet another cloud that you're using because a lot of customers are, you know, a lot of our customers are in the multi-cloud space and, mm. you know, which is cool. I mean, I like the fact that you have, you know, that you have Netflix, you have HBO, you have Spotify, you have all these services. You can pick whatever it is that makes sense to you. The cloud is no different. Mm. So I think that if you already got investment in Azure, if you already have the right processes in place, it's definitely something that you want to consider for um, compensating on the sprawl of tools that you have either on-premises or you're not happy about what you're getting from other clouds. But the most important thing here is that if you don't have the right plan like anything, you will get hit for sure. doesn't matter if it's Arc or something else, uh, but it's something that is very obvious in the Arc space because you need to be you need to have that mindset of Azure. So, so actually, what you're saying is follow the requirements, and if TCO is one of them, um, then it's one of them, and you should pick the tool or the the service that that should follow that requirement. So you're addressing an issue, yep. um, and if Arc is it for you, then then Arc it's it's for you. Um, if Arc is not ad addressing the issue good enough, then it's not for you and you should you stick. Can, you can't force things, you know, you can't, you can't force things. If something is not meeting your requirements, uh, it just doesn't meet your requirements and you should avoid it. Um, mm. it's, it's like that. You shouldn't try to force anything that will just make the architecture to break. Um, so architecture. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's something that we will, will jump on right now. And that is, Diagramming. I've, Diagram. I've looked at at all those conversations that you had online about diagramming. And well, I always say to become a master, you must first uh, learn, uh, you must first master the basics. Um, yeah. And I have to admit, diagramming is not really my cup of tea. So um, <laughs> please take me into your world and mm -hmm. um, 
Well, let, let's say, what are the requirements of a good diagram for you? Yeah. Um, so to answer that, first of all, I, I got to give the context of why I'm so big on creating this content around diagrams and why I actually create those diagrams. Um, I'm a very visual person. I, uh, I imagine how things should look like. Um, and that's just kind of what drives a lot of my decisions. Um, it can be either a diagram, it can be a flow chart that I have in my head, it can be code, it can be a lot of things. But it all boils down to how, you know, what kind of picture I have in my head. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm like I mentioned, I'm very, you know, I, I, I like visualization. And I follow two, basically two design principles. One, you eat with your eyes first. If something doesn't matter if a technology is awesome, to me, it doesn't matter. If I don't understand how point A connects to point B, if I don't get it, it's going to be very hard for me to bring myself to the next level that is dive deeper. So, you know, to me, a diagram is a business card to a technology. So that's so that's number one. Number two, um, and I'll quote, um, and I did an episode on this in Jumps to Lightning, and I quote my, my good friend here, Frank Deneman. If a good diagram is a good diagram, if you're not in the room to explain it, <laughs> if you need to be in the room to explain the diagram, that means that it's not simple enough. Now, that it's not a one or a zero thing. And there is always the, you know, the gray in, in, in the middle, but, and you're always going to have diagrams that are more complex and diagrams that are designed to be more simplified. But the rule of thumb here is that if you have too many questions about the diagram, that means that I didn't do a good job on creating that diagram for you. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, how I go about and do these diagrams, and you're right, in order for you to be a master, you really need to know how to, you know, how to hold the ball. You can't, you know, you can't just, you can't just learn to master something without understanding the fundamentals, which is why I decided to teach others, hey, here's, here's, here are fundamentals for me. Um, here's the attention to details that I'm looking at. And I'm a very detail-oriented person. I care about the small details because I feel that, you know, it's like, you know, it's like food. If you put too much salt, it's too salt. If you put too much sugar, it's too sweet. Like, I mean, so that's kind of that's kind of the way I'm looking at this um, and why I'm passionate about this. Plus, it's fun. You know, it's fun to look at the diagram at the end and be like, hmm, that's cool. Looks looks great. So. Yeah, true, true. And obviously, a lot of diagrams that I've seen that, that you've worked on or that you actually reviewed were uh, were aesthetically pleasing, as I would say. Um, I just can't wrap my head around it. I, I In the end, I always <laughs> manage to, 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 to make a good diagram, but it takes me so a lot of time. And like you said, a lot of iterations with discussions with colleagues and other professionals from in the community that actually reviewed my diagrams and... I have to explain it like you just mentioned and then I 
I have to do some rework and um, it just takes a lot of time for me, but I'm very eager to become a master and yet I'm still learning the basics. So um, yeah, maybe you can review a, a diagram for me sometimes. I actually put an open challenge on LinkedIn. If anyone wants to give me a diagram for me to review, I'll be the first one to give you the feedback. Awesome. Uh, just don't take that personally. <laughs> no, it's, not, it's not about you. It's about. It's really about the diagram. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, that's how you learn, really, uh, by being receptive to perspective or feedback about this type of stuff. I mean, True. no one wants to. No one wants to eat food that is not good. You want someone to tell you that it's not good. So. True, true, true. Yeah. I think that looking at the clock, we're already um, going uh, uh, into in, uh, again towards the end of, of this episode. And I don't want yeah. to take a lot of time of you because, well, like I said, <laughs> I've seen you a very busy guy. And I, 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 I figure that a lot of more stuff is coming from the ARC uh, platform. And um, yeah. I would like to thank you for participating in this podcast today. Um, before I ask you if you have anything to address to to all our listeners and 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 and, and audience uh, that is watching this 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 uh, podcast right now, yeah, I uh, first of all thanks for having me. I I always uh, it's always fun for me to talk to people from the community. It's you know we live in such a di digital age that it's so hard to make personal connections. So every time I had a chance to I have a chance to talk to someone um, in that you know, in that form fashion, it's always great, which is why I also do the Jumpstart Lightning Show. It gives me the opportunity to talk to people mm -hmm. in that capacity. So, um, and for, you know, for the viewers, I mean, honestly, I just hope that I'm not spamming you too much. Um, I, hope you <laughs> I hope you enjoy the content. I hope that you can relate to that and always feel free to reach out and tell me what you think or give me suggestions for things that you would like to see. Um, and I'm very much oriented towards the community uh, because I feel that this is really the engine to the work that I do on a daily basis. So I address that very seriously. Thank you. Thank you. And I would say from the viewers and the community perspective, keep on going and doing that, that, that good work that you're doing. Um, so we have stuff to play around with, right? But <laughs> that, that's actually what you're bringing to us is... is um, Toys. Toys, yeah. So for, for me, it is, for me it is. Sometimes it is. So like AKS Edge Essentials, I I I started playing with it immediately. So um, yeah, awesome. Someone from uh, someone from my team, from the Jumpstart team, actually called me Ark Santa, and I think that I, you know, I uh, I embrace that. I embrace that title. I you know, I'll be Ark Santa all day long. Not a problem. Now I will have to edit the thumbnail of the video. Making you uh, Arc Santa with <laughs> no, I will not do that. Don't go worry. Um, thank you very much again, and to all the listeners, uh, thank you so much for tuning in again today. Um, and hope you will be there the next episode. Um, Lior, thank you. See you out there. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.